Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. However, things not so typical as it is already Wednesday, July 5th. We'll be with you today, Thursday, and Friday. Then we'll be taking a vacation July 10th through 14th and back with you July 17th. We'll continue to update that throughout today's show and the rest of the week. But as we do, we get things started with the poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question and we'll dive into this a little bit further here shortly in regards to the Phoenix Suns and what they did in free agency and that player uh, that seemingly has been linked to the Suns no matter if it's free agency, trade deadline, uh, off-season rumors, etc., the man is now finally a Phoenix Sun. I'm talking about Eric Gordon, and the question here is: Adding Eric Gordon enough to quiet talk about the Suns bench in the 2023-2024 season? Right now, the masses sit on the no side of things at 55% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 45%. Yes, the guy that I've been begging they get it for years. I actually had forgotten he actually signed an offer sheet with the Suns. Yeah. Back in 2012, I think it was. And I had completely forgotten about that. But, uh, you know, the, that was the Pelicans, if I remember correctly. And they matched the offer sheet, so he never came here. But it seems like every trade deadline for the last three or four years, or at least since the Diamond, since the Suns, excuse me, have been relevant again. So that's like three years uh, that I've been begging them that they go get him, including for weeks last year before the trade deadline. And he ended up with the Clippers. Uh, now he's on a member of the Suns, and he is uh, uh, a big part of their bench. And the you know, big part is what I guess probably needs to be discussed. And we will certainly answer that question in detail around 11.30 today. Uh, we'll flip this on over to Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060. Bob had a conversation with Brian Salvatore of Amazing Avenue. And if you missed that conversation, podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app. Should the Mets try to trade Max Scherzer before the August 1st trade deadline? Yes, out in front here at 69.2% of the vote. No trailing at 30.8%. There's a couple things here. It doesn't seem likely that they're going to trade him um, because, you know, he, he has a player option for next year, Scherzer does, but he's not going to opt out of the contract because it's for $43.33 million in uh, 2024. So he's not going to, I don't think, I should never say, I guess I should never say never to any of these things, but I can't imagine he'd make more than that. Uh, or anything close to that. So he's going to be, whoever wants to trade for him, they're going to have to juggle the rest of this season, which is prorated the same $43.3 million. 
and also all of next season because he's going to opt in for next year. So it's going to be like a you know, a, you know some kind of dance uh, between the Mets and whatever team is interested if they want to trade for him. We'll answer that question, too, around 11.30 today. Your calls, if you'd like to chime in about the Suns, uh, the Diamondbacks, other NBA free agency news, 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls around 10.30 and 11.15 today. Let's start, though, with the Phoenix Suns and what they accomplished in free agency. The Suns were able to agree to deals with seven players on minimum or near-minimum deals in the first 48 hours of free agency and we alluded here to Eric Gordon so let's just start with him uh six million over two years Gordon now with Phoenix after the two have tangled for many years and as you pointed out the offer sheet that uh the Pelicans had matched several years ago uh reports that Gordon chose Phoenix over several other contenders 22 games last year with the Clippers after he was traded to L.A., 46.3% from the floor, 42.3% from three, 11 points per game, and 2.1 assists per game. Obviously, that veteran presence and being able to shoot from behind the arc. Absolutely, and he's just a good player with the ball in his hands. Uh, He also can pass, even though... Yeah, he's mainly uh, you know, a kind of a finisher at the offensive end, but he's not a bad passer. So I think he's definitely a nice addition uh, for them. Um, you know, also, there seems to be, at least to my you know, research here, conflict. he has an option that's, you know, I said, I've read through two or three different places there's an option involved here. It seems to be conflicting reports from whichever NBA, whichever NBA expert you believe in as to when the option occurs, but whatever. Uh, but they certainly got him for you know, a relatively modest NBA low salary uh, for you know, you know the next couple of years. Uh, definitely true on that front. Uh, no matter who you listen to, that this is a, a pretty a low rate for Eric Gordon. Also, considering what the Clippers had waived him at, uh, what, what was remaining on his contract if they would have chosen to pick that up. Next on the free agency list here that uh, I'm just going to go through the rest of the seven here is uh, Utah Watanabe. Six foot eight, fourth year in the league. He played 58 games with the Nets last year. He averaged six minutes a game 49.1 percent from the floor 44.4 percent from three and averaged 5.6 points per game obviously there's a theme here some size and then also being able to shoot from behind the arc yeah uh i'm just gonna you know i'll let you read these next guys together because i'm gonna throw all these guys together and just uh, say that i don't think that anybody other than gordon that the sons have signed or re-signed in the last week make them any better off the bench than they were at the end of this past season when their bench cost them dearly and gave them pretty much no chance against the Nuggets. So next up here then is Keita Bates-Diop, 6'8", drafted back in 2018. He played with the Spurs last year in the 2022-2023 season, 67 games for the Spurs, 21.7 minutes per game. He shot 50.8% from the floor, 39.4% from three, and averaged 9.7 points per game. Uh, then you have uh, Chime Z Meta. 
uh, Metu, excuse me. Uh, I'm trying to phonetically sound this out here. Chime Z Metu, 6'9", 66 games with the Kings, 10.4 minutes, 58.9% from the floor, three rebounds, 4.9 points per game. Drew Eubank, 6'10", second season, 78 games with Portland, averaging 20.3 minutes per game, 64.1% from the floor, 38.9% from three, 6.6 points per game, and five. 5.4 rebounds per game. Yeah, I'll just uh, throw in uh, the fact that I don't think any of these guys are an upgrade where they had. Uh, other than the fact, I will say that you know, I don't think it's a bad thing that Josh Landale's gone, and uh, it turned out that uh, the Rockets paid him a four-year contract. They gave him a four-year contract for outrageous money, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know what he did. Uh, to deserve any kind of multi-year contract, but the the, the Rockets seem to be throwing a lot of money around to guys that I don't think deserve it. To your point, John Hollinger here calls Eubanks a coup as he's an energetic rim-running backup five who is a much better rim protector and defender than Jock Landale. Plus, the Suns got Eubanks for $2.3 million while Landale is getting $32 million over four years from Houston. And then uh, Hollinger continues on in his article with The Athletic that uh, in a bad backup center market, the Suns found a very adequate solution at a position that was a big need. I'm going to have to see that to believe it. Uh, for those of you who watched uh, Eubanks at Oregon State back in the day, uh, I'll put my opinion of him back in those days is I never even thought he'd be on an NBA roster. I thought he'd be playing in Europe somewhere as just a backup player. And uh, I know he's you know, shown some signs of improvement, which is good, but I can't imagine that the Suns are going to be you know, as good as some people or many people think they're going to be that he's going to be a contributing player. Rounding out this free agency list here, two of them are returning to the Suns who played with the team last season. That would be Damian Lee. We know him from last year, 44.5% from three. And then also Josh Okoge. We know him, uh, 7.3 points per game. And I'll just add Ish Wainwright, who signed last week. Right. Uh, before we before we went on a hiatus there for a few days. And, uh, weren't here but uh I, those three guys were they should not have played one second of minutes in the postseason and they're not good they're there's backup players deep into the bench guys they are not contributing nba players in the postseason on a good team they shouldn't even be on the floor the other thing that John Hollinger said in his uh, free agency article here with The Athletic is that um, he can't say that the Suns won free agency yet as we need to see how these guys play and play well in the playoffs is a must. But in terms of, quote, value for the dollar, this might be some of the best 48 hours we've ever seen. Phoenix maximized its minimums. Once again, I'm going to repeat this uh, from just a couple of minutes ago, and I'm guessing I'm going to repeat this until I'm proven uh, otherwise wrong, uh, whether it be in the regular season, which probably isn't going to impress me too much no matter what happens in the regular season, or in the postseason. I need to see it to believe it that these are actually good moves with the exception of Gordon. 
Um, the exception of Gordon here, because Gordon's in his mid-30s here. Uh, I feel like I know what you're going to say, but I have to bring it up. Attempt to play like devil's advocate here, if you will. But on a team that does have some age, when you look at Kevin Durant, you look at Eric Gordon, if you want to throw in Bradley Beal at a young 30, uh, Devin Booker as well, uh, just with all the experience that he has here, being able to find these players on these minimum contracts and getting younger, does that help at all? Kogi, 24 years old, Eubanks and Metu, 26 years old, Bates Diop, 27 years old, Watanabe, uh, 28 years old, and then Lee, also 30 years old. I just don't think any of them are any good. I'm sorry. Uh, I thought that Bates Diop, when he was at Ohio State, would have a good NBA career. He's had nothing close to a good NBA career. He's been a marginal at best player in the NBA, which is, I'm surprised about that. Maybe he'll be better here, but once again, I don't think the Suns did anything other than adding Gordon, uh, who's kind of uh, you know the one the one negative on the Gordon thing is that you know they need somebody off the bench that could do something, and he can certainly score. But who does he take time from? They've got several perimeter guys that fill that role. Were you surprised that the Suns didn't uh, bring back Tory Craig? Uh, I was hoping they were going to, but when he got two years in Chicago, there was no way he was coming back here because he just got a better offer from the Bulls that the Suns could have ever offered him, possibly. Right, based upon the the situation for sure. But yeah, he was definitely Correct. someone that I had identified as as being on that free agent list for the Suns that I was hoping that they would find a way yeah. to, to come up with a fair agreement for him to come back and for the Suns to be able to bring him back just because I, I thought what he was able to contribute, how he elevated his play last year uh, was was very good and benefited the team as well that's now being completely kind of revamped. I agree with you, but I think we might be in the minority here because, you know, Monty Williams, who obviously is not the coach here anymore, uh, that he got almost, you know, no time. Um, you know, Craig got almost zero time in that series against the, against the Nuggets. He was pretty much null and void because I never found out a reason why he was null and void. But they kept playing a Kogi, who is a, not a good NBA player. They kept playing him instead. And I never heard an explanation as to why. Uh, no, we did not get that explanation there. Uh, and then also just kind of, I guess, like... I'm guessing Craig wasn't happy about that either. That might have contributed to... You know, the Suns weren't going to be able to keep him no matter what because of the finances. But the fact that he got two years and a chance to just go somewhere else, I'm guess, guessing that the fact that he sat on his butt basically for the end of the Nuggets series contributed to him leaving here. We'll get into more from around the NBA. Who else had a decent free agency period? Who maybe was under the radar in terms of what they were able to accomplish in free agency? And also some of the surprising uh, moves that have yet to happen uh, so far. We'll get into all of that on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. It's the Extra Point. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. Welcome back to 
Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll take your phone calls 1030, 1115. If you'd like to sound off about the Suns free agency, the Arizona Diamondbacks three in the all-star game. We'll get into Diamondbacks and Major League Baseball discussion in hour two, but we'll take your calls around 1030 and 1115, 602-260-1060. Continuing the conversation, though, around the NBA and and who else had a good free agency period? And you know what? I kind of thought Los Angeles... Los Angeles being the L.A. Lakers had a good free agency period. Uh, they were able to bring back D'Angelo Russell, two years, $35 million. Austin. That's Re- a good thing. Well, no, let me keep going. <laughs> Had to get him out of the way. Uh, Austin okay. Reeves, but at least two years, $35 million. It wasn't breaking the bank. Austin Reeves, four years, $56 million. Rui Hachimura, three years, $51 million. But then they were able to bring in Gabe Vincent, three years, $33 million. And this yeah. is maybe the one that I like the most here is that they added Torian Prince after he was waived. Uh, then they also found minimum deals with Cam Reddish and Jackson Hayes. And apparently here, the way that everything matches up for the Lakers, that the contracts will put them right up against the luxury tax line not going over. I actually really like what the Lakers did. I don't understand. It has nothing to do with my personal observations over the years of uh, of Russell, uh, who I just uh, don't think is a good player and only cares about Russell. But uh, other than that, I, I don't understand. You know, he, he ended their season on the bench, basically. Now he, got, you know, he, he couldn't guard anybody for the Nuggets, and he couldn't make a shot. And he ended their season. They got swept in the in the in the series against the Nuggets and he was not even a factor by the end of that series and yet they brought him back which I was very very surprised by that but other than that I do like what they've done they've uh, you know the Vincent thing and that makes sense you know I don't know if he's a California kid he went to UCSB but you know, I'm guessing you probably don't grow up in Pittsburgh and end up in UCSB uh, so you know, good for that to be a good geographic move if you went from Pittsburgh to Santa Barbara, though. Uh, but uh, you know, Modesto, so just, California. He's from Modesto, okay. Oh. So that's actually that's a good that's an upgrade in itself. From I've been to Modesto, uh, from Modesto to Santa Barbara, that's good. Uh, anyway, so I'm surprised that they brought Russell back, but I do like what uh, they've done pretty much everywhere everywhere else there. And yeah, the Reeves thing was kind of a given, I guess. The Hachimura thing was kind of you know there was you know, some talk that maybe he'd get a better offer somewhere else, but he certainly was effective with them. And then LeBron loves him, uh, and Reeves for that matter. He likes both those guys, and uh, you know LeBron, who I guess LeBron's not retiring. Uh, you know, remember that uh, all that crap at I the end of the regular season, at the end of the playoffs, that he was vague and kind of uh, he didn't like storm out of his final press conference after they got swept, but he was rather abrupt at the end of that uh, and kind of vague at the end of the uh, press conference. But seems like we've had the vagueness from LeBron all the time, and now with his son. You know, only a couple of years, apparently, I've never seen his son play, but a couple of years away from the NBA, he wants to play uh, either with his son or against his son. And uh, so, you know, this retirement uh, garbage that is an annual event for LeBron, you know, I guess we can forget about that, at least until next year when whatever happens, we'll hear the same thing again. Yeah, uh, you know, 
what I've heard is LeBron really wants to play with his son, but he has consistently said that, you know, that's his dream. That's not necessarily his son's dream. So maybe his son wants to play against him as opposed to with him. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but I did see the all too early mock drafts for next year, and it had uh, LeBron's son, Bronny, going to the Hawks with the 17th overall pick. Yeah, 17? Okay, so not that high, but uh, yeah, he's certainly, uh, you know, he's going to USC, and uh, USC is going to be in its last year of basketball in the Pac-12. It appears they're going to be a you know, serious contender to win the conference championship. UCLA obviously lost a lot of guys. The U of A lost some people. Maybe to the positive side, they lost some people, in my opinion, with uh, Tubelas. And Creasa, who, by the way, Creasa is staying at uh, West Virginia after they hired the assistant coach to replace Huggins. And the assistant coach is apparently the reason that he went to West Virginia via the trade portal to begin with. So he's staying. But anyway, I think that's uh, addition by subtraction for the U of A. And they've uh, supposedly recruited well, even though it'd be really nice if I ever read any player at the U of A football or basketball-wise that is good defensively. Either side, either team, they, everything is all these offensive studs that they've picked up and they can't stop anybody in either sport. Back to the NBA here. The Cavs made some moves over in the East. The sign and trade for Max Struess, four years, $63 million. Uh, they brought in George Niang. They re-signed yeah. Karis Levert. Uh, and it also wasn't as expensive as maybe a lot of people were thinking Levert would get, two years, $32 million. Uh, and they also brought in a backup big man, Damian Jones. And obviously, a, a lot of this is because the Cavs made leaps and bounds. They made it to the playoffs. Uh, and Donovan Mitchell has been a huge key to all of that. But when you got into the playoffs here, Donovan Mitchell struggled a little bit, and I think just defense is really clamping down on him. He had to be able to have some other playmakers out there and to space the floor. And they couldn't make a shot against the Knicks when they got eliminated. And so, yeah, Niang, Niang should certainly help that. I mean, he doesn't do anything else. He's a... <laughs> He's got to be a, a – he's got to – in fact, I would just think it's safe to say that he's got to be a candidate for the worst defender in the NBA, but he can make shots. So, you know, that certainly fills a void for them. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, the other additions – it makes sense. Now, whether that makes them a contender in the Eastern Conference, uh, I think that's maybe a stretch, but they're going to need some of their – they need their big guys – who also failed in the, that series against the Knicks and just got outworked and out-hustled and outplayed and so forth. They need those guys, no matter who's around them, to play better in the postseason. The Bucks are running it back. They were able to bring back Chris Middleton and Brooks Lopez. Uh, the Bucks essentially had to do this to make their offseason uh, you know, a, a success and also yeah. to keep that window open. And they also kept Jay Crowder, who had some decent moments uh, last year in uh, once he you know, finally signed and went to the Bucks, and he'll have a full off season to work and you know a full season to play with that team. So I would assume Crowder's will be better next year in Milwaukee than he was this past year. How surprised were you here for Fred Van Vliet to the Rockets as well as Dylan Brooks and everyone talking about the four years, eighty million for Brooks. Well, this is kind of uh, you know, c continues my discussion in the last segment, or at least my statement in the last segment uh, with the Landell thing. I don't know what the hell the Rockets are doing. I understand they have money, 
they need to add players, certainly. They need to get away from their you – know, it seemed like everybody they've had for the last three or four years have been like 18 or 19 years old. And, you know, birth certificate-wise, that's young, but they were immature for their age. And IQ basketball-wise, they were at the bottom of the barrel. Now we have to pay attention here to what's up with Damian Lillard and what's up with James Harden. So we wait. Damian Lillard, after free agency got started, he announced that he would like a trade from Portland, and his preferred destination is to go to the Miami Heat. Um, So the talks, though, that I had heard is that Portland doesn't want Tyler Hero back in return. So it'll be interesting to see if other teams enter into this conversation to make a three-team trade possible or how this all unfolds yeah i think it was certainly you kind of wonder whether there's some insider trading going on here it was speculated that lillard was interested in the heat for a while um you know the fact that they didn't bring back vincent or Struess, uh you know the time you know the, the hero thing doesn't match up salary cap wise they couldn't they can't do it according to bobby marks who's on espn frequently and they need to find a third or fourth team to uh, make a trade for Lillard. But that seems like it would be a logical landing spot for him. And James Harden, uh, he also wants a trade here. But I guess if you're following along, because there was like nothing else going on in the world of sports yesterday, uh, that the owner of Fanatics had a massive house party in the Hamptons and he had to dress in all <laughs> white. But the reason I'm bringing this up is that uh, James Harden was there. He was also seen hanging out, photographed with Joel Embiid as well as Tobias Harris. So people are speculating, well, maybe he's not going. Going anywhere well and harris is supposedly out of philadelphia too right so you know, maybe it was a going away party uh <laughs> for for harden and, and and harris and so forth so uh we'll see that that roster just seems to be like the biggest uh you know, i don't i expected you know them to be you know have done something by now uh but to my knowledge they really haven't done much of anything by now uh so i would uh yeah, that's I've how long two or three years now I've been talking about how this is just a disjointed, poorly structured roster, and they've gone through a couple of different general managers to get to this point, and you know the Daryl Morey, uh, James Harden love affair apparently is over, or you know at least some believe it's over. So we'll see, but I'm actually really surprised that the uh, that whether it's you know Harden or somebody else that the Sixers are just kind of you know no. We're, I don't think they're any different than they were when we talked on Friday, really. No, I don't think they are. Um, the other thing here that caught my attention, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns also uh, shows up in, in trade rumors, and there were, I, I, maybe not trade rumors necessarily, but he seemed to always be linked to the Suns uh, for the last couple of years. But now it sort of seems like there might be a change of the guard with the Timberwolves here, uh, with the team giving what they gave to Anthony Edwards. Do you think that Carl Anthony Towns could be on the move? true but obviously we can end that sun stuff that was kind of a waste of our time for several years because he was never going to come here uh you know for a variety of reasons Uh, so that was never going to happen but we kept hearing about it and people kept bringing it up uh but uh, it it sure seems as if they've got a whole lot of you know they've got a lot of max contracts on that team that is similar to the suns 
And Wells, can you actually do? I don't know what they could do to move him and get what they would what they would get in return. I have no idea. You got any ideas on that? Uh, no, I, I, not really. Um, I have I, I have none. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know, what do you what do you think about him? Because you know, I saw him. You know, I I feel like I'm waiting for him to reach his potential. Like there's so much there here, and you just see it uh, in spurts. You see it in flashes. I just don't see it consistently, night in and night out. I don't know if I'm being too critical there. You maybe are if you just base it on last season because what did he miss like 50 games? Right. I mean, he was out a couple of different times, so. Yeah, he certainly, you know, I don't think it's fair to base uh, with, you know, his um, value, out of lack of a better term for me, uh, uh, based on last season because he just wasn't playing, uh, you know, even, you know, before the playoffs, he was out for a while and then came back and played. He was out for weeks before even that. But, you know, if you go back to a couple of years ago, he was a really good player. Wasn't particularly good in the playoffs that particular year, but, uh uh, yeah, they won. The, they got in the playoffs. They won the play-in thing, and then they got bounced pretty, pretty quickly. But he was not good then. But yeah, I think that he's a really good. Pl- I don't think he's the number one guy on a really good team. I think he has to be a number two guy, at best. Most likely, he'd be a number two guy on a really good team. It's probably a better way of putting it. Uh, a number two guy as opposed to waiting for him to reach his potential because he's obviously has a ton of really good skills there. But yeah, I think that's a much better way of putting it that he's the number two on a really good team. Um, your turn. And he could be he could be a number two on a pretty good team. And you know, he, he actually could reach his potential and still be a number two guy on a pretty good team. I don't know how high his number one ceiling is, however. Your turn, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to chime in about the Suns NBA free agency, uh, the direction that the team is going, Diamondbacks, uh, three players making the all-star roster uh, as things are almost to the all-star break. 602-260-1060. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 on this Wednesday, July 5th. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Wednesday. It is July 5th. Your turn if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060 is the number. A reminder here for you, Bob and I are with you the rest of today, Thursday and Friday, taking a vacation July 10th through the 14th, and we'll be back with you on July 17th. Uh, the former Arizona Cardinals head coach Vince Tobin died Monday at the age of 79. Tobin had coached the Cardinals to their first playoff win in 51 seasons back in 1998, uh, the 1998 season. He also had uh, coached that wild sequence of events that took place to kind of conclude the 1998 season, uh, winning the last three games to make the playoffs for the first time since 1982. And then they went on to beat the 
the Cowboys 20-7 to in that first playoff game and then lost to, I believe it was, the Vikings in the next playoff yes. game. Uh, but that 1998 team had some players here, and it got me kind of going back in time. Uh, you had Jake Plummer, Aeneas Williams, Jameer Miller, Simeon Rice, Eric Swan, Pat Tillman, Larry Centers, Andre Wadsworth. I'll start. Yeah, they had some good players. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, we did. Like the, the, the the team was full of some really good players, especially on the defensive side of things here. But I was going to start with. Do you remember Andre Wadsworth and the 1998 draft, where he was the number three overall pick? The hype that was obviously surrounding him. Uh, the huge contract holdout that occurred finally gets done the night before game one, which was six years, $42 million, including $10.49 million signing bonus. And he goes out his rookie year. He plays all 16 games, five sacks, 57 tackles, 42 solo, but then knee injuries plagued the rest of his uh, short career with the Cardinals. Correct. That's uh, the, you know, injuries here certainly, uh, you know, diminished what performance that he might have performed at. But in that first year, he was healthy. As you mentioned, he played all the games and uh, wasn't terribly productive, quite frankly. But, you know, this is uh, in 1998. That's four seasons before I actually got here. But I was, you know, obviously following the Cardinals because I was doing the syndicated gig then. And uh, that team in 1998, that team cost me money because those three games that they won at the end of the regular season, uh, I don't know if I was against them every week, uh, but I was pretty close to against them every week. I just didn't think they'd keep winning, and they kept winning games. Um, so I know that you just said that you weren't here, but you obviously followed the Cardinals here. So help me out with Eric Swan, 1991 draft, the sixth overall pick. Uh, if you look at some of those key seasons, 1994, he had seven sacks, 71 tackles. 1995, eight and a half sacks, 53 tackles. 1996, five sacks, 81 tackles. Uh, he was a Pro Bowl player in a couple of those seasons here. Yeah. I remember him, eight-year-old me in 1998, remembers him <laughs> as being really good. Um, eventually, he, too, had serious knee injuries, which yeah. plagued the rest of his career. But I just remember him as being a, a, a stud player for the Cardinals on the defensive side of the ball. Or did eight-year-old me overhype Eric Swan? No, I don't think so. I mean, you mentioned that he made the Pro Bowl, and I actually think the Pro Bowl meant something more. It meant more then than it does now. But he was a, you know, I think he was more of a run stopper than he was, you know, rush the quarterback type of guy. Uh, so, yeah, he was a very effective player uh, for a few years, those years that you mentioned there for sure. He was good. And then the other player here, Simeon Rice, back in 1996, the third overall pick. Uh, he had a stellar rookie season with 12 and a half sacks. He was the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in 1998. 10 sacks, 23 quarterback pressures in 1999, 16 and a half sacks. But then by 2001, he was playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because um, – contract situation here with Simeon Rice and the Arizona Cardinals yeah when I before I got here uh and when I first got here the first few years there were always contracts issues with uh the Cardinals and their better players uh, maybe I shouldn't say always but uh, it seemed like there were more than other places uh with uh you know the elder Bidwell not uh, you know not uh caving in so to speak or you know, you know maybe uh, compromising 
uh, to give the contract that he probably should have given to some. Simeon Rice, on the other hand, uh, he was you know, back in his Illinois days. You know, I thought he was just all out for get sack to get sacks, and I guess it worked out for him because he was a high draft pick and made plenty of money in the NFL. Uh, he didn't seem to be terribly concerned about stopping the run. I remember one game Ohio State played against Illinois, and Eddie George had, I think it was almost 300 yards rushing, and it was pretty much just attacking Simeon Rice for that whole game. Uh, so they also had Orlando Pace as their left tackle on that team at Ohio State, so you know, he was being blocked by a good guy. But I just uh, And I remember when he left Illinois, there was an anonymous, uh, anonymous quote from an assistant coach there that pretty much said, you know, good riddance. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I kind of backed up my theory about him being maybe a selfish player. And quite frankly, I didn't think that changed that much in the NFL. You know, I, I you know, heard what you said there about in the 90s, there seemed to be a lot of contract disputes with some of the better players that the Cardinals had. Uh, so I, I'm not disregarding or discounting that as I head the conversation into a, a different direction about just maybe how things have changed overall with the NFL in that, you know, there's more of the, the tier structure and so there's less negotiating right. that can take yes. place for these first round draft picks. Yeah, they always had issues with early draft picks, including the first year I was here or the second year I was here. Uh, Brian Johnson or Johnson was his last name, wide receiver from uh, Penn State. And uh, yeah, we were in Flagstaff training those days. I was up there covering the Cardinals in Flagstaff, happily in Flagstaff in the summer, covering the Cardinals. And uh, he didn't show up. He wasn't there to start the camp because he hadn't signed a contract. And then he showed up, and like within the first 24 hours that he was there, he uh, was dehydrated and had. They, they actually called the you know, paramedics, you know, in the middle of the night. They called him because you know we you know, those days I actually stayed in the dorm, uh, dorm at uh, NAU is where they put the media, except for the you know the media that could afford a hotel in those days, and we couldn't. Uh, eventually we kind of upped our up the ante a little bit and stayed in hotels the last couple of years were in Flagstaff but it was right outside my window of my dorm room and yeah you know, in the middle of the night I guess I wake up and maybe there was a siren or something you saw lights flashing and they were there because they needed to attend to Johnson who they had just signed and had like one practice and was being uh, receiving medical attention uh, Bryant Johnson, and he's in the That's same. That's him. Yes. Uh, just looking him up, he's in the same draft class here as Calvin Pace and Anquan Bolden for the Cardinals. Yeah. Well, Calvin Pace was a you know interesting dude. He he actually, yeah you know, he 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 had some decent games here. I don't know if he ever really had a really good season here. He went elsewhere and did much better after he left here. Uh, sometimes that happened in the 90s and early 2000s as well. But Anquan Bolden. Oh, that, that's, happened, that's happened since then, too. They've had plenty of players for the Cardinals in my 20-plus years of covering this team that have gone on and done much better things elsewhere. Uh, Anquan Bolden, though, you know, he was good with the Cardinals, good with the Ravens. Yeah. Uh, he was just, God, he was like a defensive player playing offense. That's true. Unfortunately, he also suffered a really bad injury during a training camp 
uh, practice in Flagstaff, and uh, that helped derail one of his seasons here. You know, it's unfortunate that it took uh, Vince Tobin's death on Monday at the age of 79 to take a trip down memory lane for some of the past uh, players here. But the 1998 season certainly was a memorable one. And there were some really uh, good players that were on that Cardinals team. We'll get into the PGA Tour next. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7, channel number two. Wrapping up our number one of Extra Point on this Wednesday, July 5th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. As it is Wednesday, that means we already have to turn our attention to the PGA Tour as they are at the John Deere Classic TPC Deer Run in Illinois. We'll get to that event here in just a second, but I couldn't move on without going back to last week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic and how uh, Ricky Fowler got it done. Uh, He's been trending in a really good direction here. His game coming back around, deciding to link back up with Butch Harmon as his swing coach, making the necessary changes. He changed his putter as well using a a longer type putter, a bigger grip, and uh, we've obviously seen him contending a little bit more. We saw him at the U.S. Open and uh, all kind of coming together for Ricky Fowler, culminating in a victory in which he birdied the 18th hole to get himself into a three-man playoff with Colin Morikawa and Adam Hadwin, and then he goes on to win the tournament in that first playoff hole, and it is his first victory in four years. So it's always really cool to see players You never want this to happen, to be at the top of a pinnacle and then to tumble down the mountain. But it's really cool to watch players put in the work, uh, to do the mental necessary things to to get yourself in order here and to start to match that up with the physical gifts that you have and to climb that mountain once again and to get back on top and get himself a victory. So that's really cool to see for Ricky Fowler. Now, when it comes to the PGA Tour, as I mentioned, it is the John Deere Club. Classic at TPC Deer Run in Illinois. It's a par 71, 7,268 yards, and it's yet another course that is going to uh, feature bent grass greens. It's also another one of these birdie fest type golf courses here, as you had JT Poston shooting 21 under par last year, Lucas Glover shooting 19 under par uh, a couple of years ago, Dylan Fratelli 21 under, and several years ago, Michael Kim taking it real low at 27 under par so the history here with the john deere classic we have to gosh this makes me feel old right 19 year old jordan spieth uh holding out for birdie from the greenside bunker to force a playoff uh, and then turning around and winning in the playoff there. And that was Jordan Spieth kind of bursting onto the scene as a 19-year-old who had just uh, you know, turned professional there. The thing about the John Deere Classic is that it is typically in its traditional spot here a couple of weeks before the Open Championship, giving guys an opportunity who have yet to qualify for the Open Championship the chance to do 
do so. There will be three spots available for players to punch their ticket to the Open Championship that will be played two weeks uh, from this week's event here. So when it comes to trying to figure out what to do for the John Deere Classic, again, metrics-wise, it's not this overly challenging golf course. So nothing is really standing out where you have to be just really precise off the tee or you have to be really precise uh, approach to the green or you have to be a really precise putter. It's kind of just who gets really hot that week and uh, keeps riding that momentum through the four days. So I'm looking more, I guess, at people who have the ability to take it low. And uh, I'm going Eric Cole who is certainly kind of, he himself has burst onto the scene here uh, this season. So I'm going with him for a top 20 at plus 190, also uh, swallowing the 33 to 1 odds. He uh, averages birdies here in this field at 23rd on tour and birdie or better percentage at 28th. And he's uh, putting at 4th on the PGA Tour. Also, Adam Shank for a top 20 at plus 155. He finished seventh last week. He also has good course history here and a tie for fourth in 2021 and a tie for sixth in 2019. Certainly not going to criticize you if you're feeling Denny McCarthy as he's had nine top 20s in the last 15 starts for himself and he's kind of pushing the envelope to get his first PGA Tour win. Also can't fault you if you're going with Russell Henley who seems to play well here second in 2019 and a tie for 11th in 2021 and of course Adam Hadwin who was just in that playoff last week he's kind of starting to put it all together here as the summer is rolling on so wouldn't fault you for going in any of those directions as we're trying to figure out what to do for the John Deere Classic but our number two is coming up on the other side of the break it is the extra point